You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Gents, boys, and girls, welcome to episode 127B of Tales with TR. I'm your host, Terry Ryan Jr. Today, we're going to get right into it. I tell you who I got. I advertise maybe Maggie Connors, maybe Brad Lukowicz, but I've got one of my old teammates, one of the last Winnipeg Jets, a former Philadelphia Flyer, Washington Capitol. So here we go. Let's get right into it. Ladies and gents. My next guest hails from beautiful Prince George, B.C. and was drafted in the fourth round of the 1990 NHL entry draft by the Detroit Red Wings after a couple of years suiting up for the Seattle Thunderbirds of the WHL. From there, he'd go on to play a dozen years of pro hockey, highlighted by NHL stints in Philadelphia, Winnipeg, Washington, and Calgary. Other highlights include playing for Canada's World Junior Team in 1990 and bringing home gold and also playing alongside yours truly in Salt Lake City in fall 2000 as members of the Utah Grizzlies. He is a dandy D-man, a magnificent man, a dynamite dad, a heroic husband, a terrific traveler. He likes to hit the pub and played in the dub. He was a man of many words on the Seattle Thunderbirds. He's never late and was a great teammate. I have three pets, and he played for the Jets. We both like steak and played in Salt Lake. I thought the fans were yelling boo, and they were actually saying stoo. At the end of his career, he played in Europe for two years. He's got a muscular chest, and he lives out west. Folks, my friend Cal owns some fish, and we call them Cal's tunas. And please welcome to the show my buddy, Stu Malguna. Stewie, how you doing? Excellent. How you doing, TR? Not bad. So here we go. So, Stewie, I'm glad to get you on. I've been meaning to do this for a while. I sent you a message. You didn't get back to me. I said, that's weird because he visited here last year. We're good buddies. And I had the wrong number plugged into my phone. So thank you on such a friend. How the hell are you doing out in Prince George, BC? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, we got a little snow here today, the first one. And uh, yeah, not looking forward to that. But winter's coming. So here we go. And uh, what uh, post-hockey career, I know you coached for a little bit. You went back to Seattle and coached in the mid-2000s. What do you do now for a living? And uh, 
How does a typical day go in Prince George, British Columbia? Well, typical day is my lovely wife, Cheryl, and I just uh, purchased a pub. It's called Nellie's Pub, and we're hoping to get you and some of your boys up there at some point. And uh, so typical day is just run the pub, and uh, it's usually a lot of moving parts. Our cook called in sick today, so we're scrambling. And uh, so far, so good. Nellie's Pub in Prince George, B.C. I'm sure the odd Newfoundlander frequents the place. (laughs) I hear people tell me all about it. There's no question. We're actually going to host a maritime night at some point. Like I say, we're hoping to fly some of you and your boys up and maybe uh, have a whole maritime weekend. Stewie, you know what? I'd like to do a live podcast or something. I need a reason to go back to the Caribou region, right? I mean, well, Quinell is my reason. Listeners know I played in Quinell. It's really... It's dear to my heart, but it's so far. It, it, and I literally, it's my second home. I mean, I went to three years high school there. I mean, you know, it, it's so important to me, but so far away. It's not just coast to coast. You get to Vancouver. It's about, you know, we fly across, you know, Halifax, Toronto, usually Calgary or Edmonton, then Vancouver. And then you go up to up north to the Caribou region. I love it, though. And you got your start. I didn't realize till today playing in the Peace Caribou League for the Prince George Spruce Kings, would it have been then? Yep, that'd be the Spruce Kings, yeah, when I was 17. So tell me about your minor hockey. Were you like a blue-chip prospect that got, I guess there was no draft into the dub, were you listed early, or did you just stick with it, and at 17, you know, you had a pretty good year and went to Seattle for your late teens? I just want to get back to the Quinell thing for two seconds. So I don't know if you know, um, Quinell is hosting the Koi Cup this year. So it's a big deal in March. Mm. So just thinking out loud, maybe that'd be an awesome time to get you guys out here and you could go to Quinell and make the stop at the pub. And uh, anyhow, we'll talk about that later. But a hundred percent. First of all, the Koi cup is the, is that the BC championship or is that the yes. B? Okay. It's yeah. the BC championship of, of senior. Um, yeah. It's not the Allen because of, I don't know, something that not enough, people in the cities or something like that but it's like the b type thing but it's a big there deal are i mean there's a lot i know i've seen it quinell kangaroos got a rich history yeah. i actually played sure. one game if you can believe it god i was 14 <laughs> i was 14 went out there to play junior so that was a stretch and i never yes. really talk about it but they happened to be hosting the allen cup it, oh, was, okay. it was an odd year i know usually the allen cup is on a i don't want to say quinell's not uh, what's the word a, a, a big platform but you usually get bigger centers and more leagues involved, but it was the early 90s. And, uh, yeah, I ended up playing one game. A few of us millionaires got called up, so I played some Allen Cup at 14. But right. I do know That's I do know that the Koi Cup's massive, and some of the legends, you go back to Quinnell now, and there's still pictures of some teams that are very successful in the 70s and 80s. Big tradition. Um, yeah. Okay, so sure. so as a minor hockey player, you know, you're, were you in Prince George the whole time? Were you always a triple A? AAA? Did you know it was a foregone conclusion to play in the Western League, or did it all just kind of happen? No, definitely not. I was when I was 14 years old. I was five nine, probably 150 pounds, and I was the captain of my team, but I was one of the smallest guys on my team. And I I prayed every night because it was obviously my goal to play in the NHL and. You know, but you know, as a small guy, they weren't taking small defensemen back then. And I prayed every night to grow. I finally grew to all the five foot eleven, hundred and seventy pounds by the time I was seventeen, and and started to kind of excel. And uh, 
But in uh, minor hockey, no, I wasn't a star by any means. It's funny back then how if you were great at minor hockey or you were, I shouldn't say great, that's subjective, but if you were like, if you started to become on the radar for the Western League or for college or pro or whatever it was, people would move you up and play junior instead of maybe go the midget AAA route, which is more, I think, probably a more normal decision now. I know there are kids out there playing junior, but for me, for you just a little bit before me, it was, you know, play a bit of junior. So how did your experience, because I know that I played in the Rocky Mountain League. It was the Rocky Mountain Hockey League. It just morphed to that from the Peace Caribou League. And I know the league I played in was unbelievably tough. Was the, <laughs> the same for you? Well, we were even a little bit before you. So, yeah. yes, I mean, I think we had Quinnell, Williams Lake, Dawson Creek, Fort St. John. And we would cycle through those teams probably play them about 10 or 12 times each and so <laughs> yes there was a few desktops a few line brawls and uh everybody could fight back then and you had it, to it actually was good i say to people i'm like you know i know it was hard and my dad got a lot of shit my mom too really and even tri-city what are you doing putting them up there in these bantam years but i, I honestly I, by the time i got to the western league i feel i had a head start on everybody else because a lot of it a lot of it is getting used to it. I don't want to use the word fear, but there is. There is a bit of fear in you as a kid going to the Western League. My God, like, good. Like, these guys are in the Memorial Cup. They fight every night. They're huge. They're NHL prospects. But after going through playing junior hockey in Rocky Mountain League or Peace Caribou or whatever it is, it seems like a bit of old hat. You're kind of used to it. Now, you went to Seattle. You had some great years. So you're telling me you're a 17-year-old. You're in the Peace Caribou League. Two years later, you're on the world junior team winning gold. That must have been a real quick ascent. When you went to Seattle, were you getting yeah. all kinds of of interest immediately from NHL teams? Or no. was it, a, you know, no. did it progress slowly? Yeah, no, not, not at all. Actually, um, when I was 17 playing, well, I was the last cut from the, the new U.S. Bruins, actually. Okay. And... Um, so yeah, I went there basically as a walk-on to their camp. Sorry, my phone keeps going off here. Sorry. And it was the last cut, so that gave me a lot of confidence. So I went home, and my old midget coach was coaching the Spruce Kings, so he put a lot of faith in me. He liked me as a player. He liked, I guess, you know, my toughness, my skating, and all that stuff. Played the shit out of me. I really started to gain confidence. I, I won the... Uh, the best defenseman in the league award that year in the Peace Caribou League. And then halfway through the season, I was called up to for the Eastern Swing with New West, which was a huge eye-opener. I remember throwing up all the way from it's an hour flight from Prince George to Vancouver. I was so nervous, I, I filled up two puke bags full of yeah. nervous puke. Told yeah. the coach I couldn't play. Told him I was sick. He yeah. said, you have to play because that's why we called you up. I played, played well, went on the Eastern swing. <laughs> and then they dropped me. New West dropped me. I guess he thought I was too small, too scared. I probably was. I was sitting on the bench watching guys like Tony Twist, Skater Eye, yeah. or Darren Kimball, and PA. And it just, oh, my God. It was almost too much for me. And Seattle picked me up, gave me a chance the next year, and, and things started to really click for me. So as an 18-year-old, I, I guess I turned some heads, and at 19, I really found my stride. That is quite amazing. Now, an ex-teammate of mine from the area, I think I've asked you this, Turner Stevenson, would he have been in Seattle when you were there? Yeah, Turner, actually, it's, it's quite the story. So 
I went to Seattle as a walk-on at 18. Turner was listed. I, I was. I guess we were all listed. There was a 50-man player protected list, so we were yeah. all listed. But he went there as a 16-year-old. I went there as an 18-year-old. My brother, 17, went as well just to give it a shot. And we all ended up making the team. There was a guy by the name of Victor Gervais. You might have heard of one of the I best. I played on the uh, Team Canada <laughs> roller hockey with yeah. him one year, 2004. Yeah, first, so I played one tournament and quite a character. Keep going, yeah. Oh, yeah. So at that time, I guess it was 88, there was four PG guys that uh, were on the Seattle T-Birds. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Wow, interesting. I remember because... I remember being so comforted. I went to Montreal and how, how really intimidating that can be as an 18-year-old. But I knew Turner Stevenson had gone in the draft a few, two, two, three years before me, I think. Uh, and I think he was a first-rounder. I think he went 23rd or 24th overall. And Turner, I remember, and, he, you know, he had like the, even back then, you know, everybody had like their whatever it was, Nike or Bauer underwear on. And he had his... Uh, his sleeveless Metallica shirt, and he was listening to Ride the Lightning. And there was a lot of PG still in him in, in the Montreal dressing room, and I really took comfort in that. Um, yeah, so you guys all sure. went together. Um, do you see him anymore, by the way? I know he's from up around there. Well, no, he lives in Seattle, and I th oh. heard he just bought a place in Phoenix. So, I mean, he comes up. He, he's running the Seattle kind of uh, bunch of hockey teams there. So he comes up once in a while and we hook up for some beers, but I haven't seen him in a, in a long time, but we, we still keep in touch. He's one of my, my good buds. Interesting. Uh, give him a shout. Give him a hi. If, uh, yeah, I will. I don't know when I'd run into him, but uh, in case I don't, let him know that, that he really, uh, he really was a comfort to me when I was a young kid. Um, I guess he was just a few years older. He seemed 30 though, and I felt 15. Um, so World Junior. So then you're having a great year at 19. You make it. And, I mean, the experience must have been out of this world to play for Canada. But you end up winning. And if I recall, if I recall, and it's not coming to me to right now, I pro is that the year Dwayne Norris, a good Newfoundlander, scored the winner? Yes. Because yes. people remember yeah. John Slaney the year later because it was so – it was such a climax of a tournament. And because back yeah. then there was no championship game. Like, we all listen now and all the – a lot of my listeners don't realize that the World Junior, in order to be exciting, it just, I, I remember when Slaney scored that goal in 91, that, that it just awesome. happened to be because Canada played Russia last and it came down to that goal, but that wasn't a championship game. And against you guys, it was Dwayne Norris. I remember watching it. It doesn't get as much hoopla, but you guys won the World Juniors. And this was just a couple of years after it went, there was a bench clearing brawl that kind of put a black mark on the sport. And I remember watching you guys and getting right back into it. Tell us about that experience. Well, how that all kind of transpired was I had, first of all, had no idea that I was even on the radar for the world juniors. Um, I was playing a ton in Seattle and, and, and I ended up making the, the found out that I was, you know, being looked at for the all-star team and all that stuff playing a ton and all of a sudden Russ Farwell calls me in one day in, in Seattle and said you might want to think about bringing your your A game tonight he said uh, Team Canada's here to watch you for the World Juniors and I, I basically I could I couldn't even fathom that I'd be on you know even in the in the mix there so a couple days later he calls me in and he said and he gives me a letter and he said you're being invited to the world junior camp. And he shows me a list of, I think, 22 defensemen. I wasn't even drafted at the time, 19 year old. I wasn't drafted yet. 
Yeah. And there's Adam foot, you know, second round pick. There's all these first round picks. I'm going down the list and there's me. I was like one of the only guys not drafted. I said, okay, well, I'm going to go and give it the old PG try. <laughs> and uh, went, went down there and one of my strengths was my skating and there was a they wanted guys that could really skate and really compete and they wanted an, an older guy I guess too because I was 19 and there was a lot of younger you know dra high draft picks that were younger so I went there and I tried to win almost every battle skating event that I went in and I and I did that and and I got the, uh, it's, it's a funny story. I don't know if they still do it, but the way they make the, the way they made the cuts back then was, and I was rooming with a guy by the name of Scott Thornton. Yeah. He was my teammate as well. With, yeah. Speaking of Turner Stevenson, those guys very yes, briefly they, played on my line in, in, in uh, oh, Montreal. Well, they were there yeah. at the same time. One was left, one shot, right. They were both wingers. They were cut from the same cloth, same yeah. kind of people. Uh, very, very ironic that you brought up that name. Go ahead. Yeah. So anyhow, Scott, Scotty, and I, who's a fantastic guy, and you're right, he is a him and Turner really would get along, did get along. And so we're we're laying in our beds, and so what happened was they would call you to tell you if you were cut at 6 a.m. in the morning, and then they'd give your plane ticket and you'd go off to wherever. But if you didn't get a phone call, it meant you made the team. Which if if you really think about it, it's torture. How how is a kid supposed to sleep in that type of environment? I sure hope they don't do it that way anymore. It's horrible, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. So Scotty and I are laying in our beds. We couldn't sleep. 5.30, we're looking at the clock, 6 a.m. The phone rings, and it's the loudest ring you could ever hear. Both of our hearts drop. <laughs> I said, Scotty, you get it. No, you get it. You get it. He ends up getting the phone, grabs the phone, yells, can I swear? Fuck, he yells, fuck, as loud as he could. Slams the phone down, breaks the phone, I thought. And out he goes, he's, you know, in tears. And I'm, I'm waiting. I thought he, I'm waiting for the phone to ring. I thought maybe he broke the phone because <laughs> he slammed it so hard. And the phone you know, phone didn't ring. So next thing I know, I get, I get a knock on my door. And the trainer says, you made the team. You got to come down and... Uh, and uh, get fitted for all your stuff. And I uh, you know, called my dad up, and uh, we both had. A, I told him I wasn't going to be home for Christmas, and we both had a had a little cry on the phone, and then uh, we went from there. So now, the World Juniors, it it it's morphed into something today. That's you know, it's it's part of every. That was the beginning of it, though. I don't really remember it in yep. the early '80s. I was a kid growing up. But that was really the beginning of when it really became Canada World Juniors. You know, you get the memorabilia. So did you guys have track suits and all? I mean, putting on the yep. Team Canada. It must, I mean, I honestly, honestly, it must have felt incredible for you to be putting on the jersey, let alone to win. I mean. Oh, God. I mean, TR, it was, you know, one of the highlights of, of my life, obviously, to be on that team and be like an underdog to make it and not drafted and all that stuff. And then, yeah, to be putting on the, the team Canada gear and then to actually win it. Um, do you know how we ended up winning? I remember Norris scoring the goal, but there was a game or two left, wasn't there? So, so how it went, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. So it was a round robin tournament back then. And so all the teams were really close and we were playing the Czech, Czechoslovakia at the time team. They had Yermir Jager, Bobby Holy, Robert Reichel, Slager. Oh, yeah. They were stacked. Yeah. 
Yeah, I forgot that um, they were fucking stacked. <laughs> Jaeger was 17, just running the show. But and then so the Russians were who had Burry and a whole bunch of other guys on that team were playing Team Sweden. Fedorov on it, wasn't he? Uh, Fedorov actually didn't play. I okay. think he had defected by that time. Okay, okay. Um, I remember them. Did he ever defect? Know, but that. he was not. I actually, have it on VHS over there somewhere. Yeah. So, so anyhow, Russia was playing Sweden half an hour before us in a different city, and so all Russia had to do was beat Sweden, and they would win the gold medal. Like say round robin, a little bit anticlimactic. And so we were listening after the before our game going into the Emirates warm up. We heard that Russia was up three nothing. So right away, you know, our kind of our hearts sag. We were, we're, we're playing now looks like for silver and bronze and who really wants to do that. Right. But so we, you know, but we, we went out there and, and kind of same for Czechoslovakia, they had to beat us and Russia had to lose. So it was kind of a, a boring game until halfway, basically in the third period, the Sweden, Sweden started to tighten the gap a little bit and we were hearing the score, but we couldn't really hear it because it was in Finnish, but our coaches were telling us then with, Five minutes left, we heard that Sweden had actually tied the game up with Russia with one second remaining, so it was a tie. Wow. So all we had to do with five minutes left is is hang on, and, and Dwayne North scored the goal, so we're up 2-1. We just had to hang on for five minutes, and we'd be the world junior champion. So, And the only thing is... The Czechs heard that, and all they had to do was tie us. So they were going balls out. We were going balls out to try to stop them, and it was anarchy. And uh, obviously, they'd run a couple off the side of the post and stuff, but we got the win and got the gold, so it was pretty amazing. I can't believe they did it using that format for so long. Like, oh, because, you know, it just makes sense to have a championship, and you're you're literally doing math four times during the game. Mm-hmm. Just to see what's going to... I mean, now it worked out. It wouldn't fucking erase it for the world. I'm not saying you regret it or any of that. It's a great memory. I, I'm just surprised that it went so long. I think it was into the early 90s before they, they really changed the I, format. Well, I thought, wasn't, it the next, wasn't it the next year? Or was it two years after? No, no. Well, Slaney scored. I, the, the thing is, I remember seeing the highlight from Norris scoring, and I don't think anybody here... I remember there being a big thing. Newfoundland is huge. I mean, they're the first two people that we ever had on the team. Back-to-back years, getting the winner. Are you kidding me? But when Norris did it, I remember it, like what you're saying, like being in a, my buddy Steve Kwan's basement watching and trying to do math. Are they going to win or are they not? And when we saw the highlight of him scoring, because initially it wasn't on TV, it was just the highlights, and it didn't seem something like it seemed like there was a lot of doubt still in the air. It didn't oh. seem Slaney's like when Slaney scored, but it was so late and it was literally they were playing Russia. And it came down to that goal, but it didn't have to. It wasn't the championship game. It seemed that way, but I believe that came in a year or two later. Yeah, yeah, it did. But. So you get drafted to Detroit. You got a few years, three full years in the American Hockey League. One of those years, I don't remember which, but I watched it as a kid. I'm 14. I'm moving away. St. John's played Adirondack for the final. You must have been there. And it was the, the only time I know of, could be more, that the road team won each game. I think you guys might have won in seven games. And um, we did. the road team won any, every game of the series. Am I wrong there? Um, we, we, Kirk Tomlinson maybe on the team, Darren <laughs> McCarty. So tell us about that experience in the Calder Cup. Well, again, one of the best experiences, hockey experiences of my life for sure. Um, 
Was that your rookie year? No, it was my sophomore year. So our rookie year, we had the youngest team in the league in in Adirondack, and we got beat up badly. Um, I remember Jimmy Nill the first year. He was kind of a, an assistant coach, but but playing, and he got he got knocked out by Bill Heward, and that was the end of his career. And Fucking bleeding way tough guy that people forget about Bill Heward. Oh, oh god, yeah. But I mean, balls of steel by Jimmy Nill to fight him, being at the end of his career and kind yeah. of a coach. And he's both lefties, but anyhow, that was the end of Jimmy Nill's career. But he knows where he's he's gone now with Dallas and everything. But it's just a class guy, and so. Basically, Barry Melrose, who was the coach, went to Detroit and says, we got beat up. This is never going to happen again. You guys need to get some tough guys on this team for the next year. Because we had the skill. We had a lot of skill with Sheldon Kennedy, Mike Sillinger, Primo. I mean, uh, it's it's lots of skill. And so they went and uh, they traded for Dennis Vial and... Uh, who else we got? We got Kirk Tomlinson, and we brought in yeah. Max Middendorf, and just made sure that that we were never going to be pushed around again. Oh, and then Jim Jim Cummins was, was in the organization. We had him too. Yeah, and so, you guys were ooh, and Mark Potvin. So basically, we had all the skill the next year, and then we had all this toughness. So we were the, probably the toughest team in the league, and the and the toughest. So, but in, as far as the St. John's. Uh, series goes yes I mean every team lost at home which was crazy and I remember going back to Adirondack thinking we're up three games to two playing in our barn we were so pumped I remember driving it situated us out of town in Saratoga to get us away from the distractions and riding into uh, you know our home home barn we just knew we were going to win and Damian Rhodes, they had pulled Felix Potvin the uh, night yeah. before, and Damian Rhodes stopped 50 shots, and I think they beat us 4-3 or something. But flying back to the rock, we were pretty dejected. We didn't think that we could pull it off again, especially in the, in that crazy, crazy atmosphere. But, you know, we got lucky, I guess, and uh, the chips f- fell the right way, and we ended up winning the Calder Cup. One of the last series that two absolute burns Oh, for sure. Um, your rink was it in Glens Falls, or I, I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah but it, I mean, yeah. Glens Falls was a nice rink. But I mean, uh, I just used to love. What was the name of the old barn in uh, in St. John's? St. John's Memorial Stadium. Memorial. Yeah, and I'm I remember that final game. People were lined up down the street in warm up. Yeah, I remember I a was guy. One of them. Yeah. Oh, were you? You were at that yeah. game. Yeah, I was one of them. I was. Yeah. Uh, I played, that was my first year out in Quinnell, but I came back during that time. Part of it, honestly, was to see it. I, you think I'm fucking around, but it was huge. Like, we never thought we'd get to, are you kidding me? A professional franchise of anything, let alone the Toronto Maple Leafs direct farm team. Oh, God, that yeah. was like, I don't know. And it just kind of, people were throwing it out there. I just never thought it would happen. And here I am, 13, 14, 13, I got the news, 14, I was playing in uh, BC, but yeah, came back for it. And just uh, just the atmosphere in, the, in that in the old barn there in St. John's. I mean, people hanging off the rafters, and I mean, warm up was. I remember it being so loud, and they were cheering so, so loud. loud and singing, and man, it was it was nuts. And it was and hanging over the glass. The glass yeah. was you know, only went up like three feet, and there was people like just standing and hanging over. 
That oh, was a true. And you know what it is now, Stewie? I don't know if I showed you when you were here. Um, but everybody loved the Memorial Stadium, and we got a great new rink. It's called Mile New, 20 years old. Uh, Mile One Stadium. It's right in the heart of downtown. It's a walk across the street to George Street to the harbor. Signal Hill's close. It's perfect, convenient. It's a perfect size. I love our new rink. But people really enjoyed it. And the thing is, it was one of the last burns. I think Hershey might have been the last one to really go of the old school that were built like 50, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah. Even more in, in that case. But Memorial Stadium, they left it. So it's now a Dominion, which is a chain of grocery stores for people that don't know. And But they still got the score clock hanging down. They got some seats up in the corner. And from the outside, it still says St. John's Memorial Stadium. It looks exactly the same. So there's a bit of history there. Yeah. I remember us driving by, checking that out. That was, that yeah. Was yeah. I guess you were here about a year ago, were you? Yep. Yeah. Me and my lovely wife. Yeah. We had a we had an absolute blast. What a time. Thanks. Oh, yeah. Thanks for taking us out and showing us the sights. It was great. Great to see you. I don't know. What, what spurred that trip to St. John's, Newfoundland, anyway? Well, I think COVID. It yeah. just—it was kind of everybody was coming out of the COVID funk, and we had heard that it was a little maybe eased out out east. And and my wife and I had, you know, I'd been to a lot of these places, but she hadn't. So we just kind of said, let's let's head out, let's go check out Montreal, Quebec, Halifax. And I said, you know, I got a you know TR I haven't seen. He's doing well for himself he's got a book out let's let's go let's go hook up with him and go to the rock because i always always loved the rock always had so much fun there i mean just the attitude of people we just it's right up our alley so that's why when people a lot of people go out where you're from from here you know because a lot of people have to leave for work like anywhere it's more magnified when you're an island and you're a small town or whatever but uh, a lot of people don't come back right like when i went to quinnell of course, at first I tell the story, I felt really lonely and, you know, isolated. There was no internet, which kind of led to the like globalization of thoughts, I guess, and cultures. But there was lots of Newfoundland. I was never too far from a Newfoundlander. So it was, it made me feel at home. So right. Adirondack, three years, three years, Stewie, 78 games, 69, 45. You go, you're going hard. You put in some solid years, three full years in the A, not easy to do at that time and play most of the games. Your games in 93-94 with Philadelphia, did you get traded? I'm, I'm not sure what happened there. I know you got drafted to Detroit. At what point did you get traded to Philly? Well, what happened was I was kind of I was kind of earmarked to my third year to play up in Detroit, and I had a fantastic camp. Made the team on the very last exhibition game. Screwed up my right knee, blew the uh, cartilage in my right knee. And I had actually made the team as like the sixth defenseman. They told me I was going to be there. And so I had to go two-week surgery. Ended up uh, after the surgery, they, they sent me down for some games. And ended up uh, going to a this – is a, this is a bad story, but I guess I got to tell it. Ended up going to a Halloween party with a guy by the name of Darren McCarty. Yeah. <laughs> um. He dressed up as Slash. I dressed up as Axl Rose. And apparently at this Halloween party, we were doing some stupid stuff. Like, you know, where you put your head on the bat and you spin and all this stuff and try to run through an obstacle course. Stupid stuff that us young guys used to do. Yeah. The next day I woke up, my knee was swollen again. I mean, I don't remember hurting it. I don't know if it's that's how I heard it, but I had to go under the knife another week later and... 
Detroit kind of soured on me, and I guess I can't blame them think, thinking back. And uh, ended up calling some other guys up. And um, so then the next year, I was basically traded to uh, Philadelphia right right um, at training camp. Which I guess was a good thing. You played 67 was, games, got your yeah. first NHL snipe. Yeah, it was, it was obviously to be traded to the Flyers because, uh, you know, like I said, Detroit had seemed to have soured on me. Can't blame them. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Flyers were always one of my favorite teams growing up. I mean, as was Detroit, but, you know, a guy by the name of Don Knockbar, you might yeah. have heard an old school guy was... Uh, Coach the Thunderbirds, from, right? Yeah, well, he's from Prince George, and he he had uh, made the made the Flyers, so I always looked up to him. So, and obviously with the Broad Street Bullies and all that stuff, I always... Going to yeah. Flyers was, was so cool and then to finally make the nhl with the flyers was uh was amazing how about your goal tell us about it my oh, one and only 29 goal. games and i'm talking about that year you you play you get you get your nhl goal 67 games played when did it come i believe it came well, the 40th game or something like that like that was against ottawa i remember as a d to d pass in the spectrum uh kind of walked down a little bit fired a slap shot between the legs. I can't remember who the goalie was and just kind of put my arms in the air. The guys mobbed me and uh, I got my puck sitting here over on the wall. They say, you know, if you get one, the next big, big one's 50. So I was never going to get 50. So at least I got the one. Fucking unbelievable. Uh, do you have it on tape? Is it out there on YouTube? Does it exist in the, in the world wide web? <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so, but uh, it's, I'm going to make that a goal. It, it, <laughs> it's it's embedded in my brain. Hockey fans, it's finally time to hit the ice again. And thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you're in for the season of a lifetime. New customers can bet $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets if they win. Do you think that Shesterkin's the favorite to win the Vesna? I don't know. I like the plus 500 on Andre Vasilevsky. There's also a Battle of Alberta coming up next weekend. How many points does Connor McDavid end up with? Who gets the win? What's the final score? These are all things you can bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game, and get $200 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN, as in the Hockey Podcast Network, at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, so then your career continues on. I mean, we could talk about each specific year. I don't want to run out of time. You're running into lots of legends along the way. I know you played with Frank Bialois at some point. I know he played in Hershey and Portland. Is that around this time or would that have been later? I ran into you, I believe, in 99-2000. I said 2000, but it was 99-2000. Right. Uh, Frankie the Animal Bialois. Well, I mean, one of the characters of the game, right? People, a lot of people, I say that name now, everybody used to know, and here's a guy, I don't even know if he played in the NHL, but one of the most famous, definitely, he's a cartoonish figure of the minors. I mean, really, it's unbelievably tough and animated. Anyway, everybody seems to have a story. Where did you run into him? Um, well, let me think about this. Yeah, so we were, I was in Portland, Washington's farm team after I was traded to Washington from Winnipeg. And... Um, I was 
Cheryl and I ended up getting a house not far from Frankie. And the first time I met him, he invited me into his house and made me watch three hours of his fight tapes oh from my. the East Coast. <laughs> like he had them on VCR? Yeah, he had them on a VCR. Oh, and carrying them around with him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah one of those. They, they so, were on every tape. So we sat down a few beers and, oh, it was wild. Him and uh, him and uh, Vandenbush used to be good buddies. So they, used to, they played together, I think, down in the East Coast League for a few years. And watching those two guys it was... But I probably had enough after the first hour. But Frankie, yeah, long hair down, almost to his butt crack and tattoos when nobody had tattoos back then. And he was, uh, he's a character. He apparently he's doing really well now. Fucking scary, man. Like that. So that was my introduction. It was 97, 98. You're in Portland for the full year. And um, well, I guess you were there two years. 97, 98 was my first full year in the American League. And, uh, yeah, that guy was there. Vandenbush, I think Mark Major might have been there. It was just like, you know, there's tough in junior, and then there's stories. Nothing like this. And um, Frankie well, played at St. John's. I don't, I don't mind. I knew this going in, so I don't mind saying it. It's public knowledge. So he, once in a while, when it was guys' night at the strip club, he would strip he would call himself exactly what it sounds like, Frankie the Animal by Lois. And we're going, what? And again, I'm like 16, 17. The leaps are here. I'm playing away. I'm going, no. And my buddies are going, no, I'm serious. Like, he plays the games, and then he goes to the strip club, and there's a stripper on stage. I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah, true. And then I met him, and he didn't deny it. And he had this long hair, and he was just, just like, honestly, before the game, he was doing bicep curls, and we went onto the ice. And... um one of the warm-ups, without getting into this story, I'm, I'm serious. He was just sitting there. All he did, Stewie, was he put his stick under his chin and he stared into our end the whole warm-up. He didn't, he didn't touch pucks with you guys, like maybe a little bit at the very end. But he wasn't doing the horseshoe and the two-on-ones. He was just staring with no tape on either end of his stick. Fucking terrifying. <laughs> that is terrifying. But, you know, the one thing about Frankie that I always wondered, because... You know, you think of the guys that kind of made it full-time in the NHL and stuff like that. Frankie was a good skater, and he was a good hitter. I don't, I just don't understand why he didn't. Maybe it was this off-ice antics. People didn't want to really take a chance on him, but he could have been a, a legend in the NHL, I think, if someone would have given him a chance. You know, it took someone like Mike Keenan or someone like that. Like, I yeah. think it was there. There was just, you're right. Half of the NHL, they wanted a tough guy, but they might, the off-ice antics might scare them away, but there was still enough left that I, it was just, you know, there, there was only so many roles out there for a guy like that. I think it was just maybe luck of which camp he went to. Yep. I really do. Yeah. Because he, you know, I, I hear he's a great guy. Everybody I hear played with him. I hear he was different, um, but he I mean, certainly but it, wasn't a bad great. teammate, right? Oh, and uh, oh, no, no. I mean, the, like one of the best teammates you could ever have if, if the coach would have just given him a, you know, given him a chance. I look at a guy like Aaron Downey, you know, who yeah. turned himself, he ended up having an amazing NHL mm. career. I mean, when I played with Aaron Downey in Portland, Maine, um, he came up from these coats league. He was a protege of, of, of John Brophy's and he could barely, he could barely friggin' uh, skate and, and handle the puck from one end to the other. And, you know, warm up. Remember that he used to take his elbow pads off and yeah. push ups and warm up. Oh yeah. But I mean, a guy like that, you know, it, you know, if Frankie could have definitely played played that role, but I mean, great, great for Aaron to turn himself into a player. 
Well, yeah, and there was guys like that. Look, I don't mind saying it. I got to be totally honest. When I saw Aaron Downey come out and play and I heard he was a tough guy, I was kind of going, okay, maybe I'll fight that guy again. I don't want to play it down. He played. Of course, I don't want to disrespect him. I just mean at the time that he was lurking around in the American League, there was some of these guys. Another guy, Dave Morissette, I played with. Killer. Got up, I think, for 10 or 11 games. But he was a good skater. I'm like, he could yes. he could be a hitter in the NHL, let alone just a fighter. He could hit. And there was all kinds of guys like that, I guess. And I guess, you know, on one hand, you're like, how did they not get up? On the other, you say, well, they had like over decade-long careers in pro hockey, so it's not so bad. Um, okay, Stewie, so you're going on. Did the injury bug get you? You we got a dozen years in. You were still doing well. I don't want to go right to the end of your career because there's other guys I want to talk about. But yeah. I'm looking at your career. You're up, you're down. Now you're, you're starting to miss some games. You've already told me about two major injuries, and I've often said it. You're kind of lucky to make it to like 25 with no major stuff. For me, after 20 years old, for me and for a lot of other players I played with, it was almost turned into how am I going to manage my injuries? They were they were so frequent. Well, I mean, yeah, that's that's really what happened with me. The major one was my rookie season in Philly, in uh, in practice in in Winnipeg. I hit a rut, kind of, which Winnipeg is great ice. I have no idea how that happened, but I hit a rut, kind of got pushed from behind, blew my ACL, MCL, and all my cartilage in my left knee. And the doctors actually told my girlfriend at the time, which is my wife now, Cheryl, that that I'd never play hockey again. Just, they basically said, you're going to have to break the news to them. And she never broke the news to me. I'm glad she didn't. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, I just kept going and and but the knee still to this day is not the same and and then you know and I had uh, quite a few concussions near the end lost the hearing in my right ear from trying to play through concussions shoulder surgery all that stuff but it's the the knee injury at the wrong place at the wrong time in my rookie season that really I think derailed my career but uh, you wonder why that shit happens but. I guess. Hey, look, it's a physical sport. I've often said it'll never happen. I just think professional hockey for the for the demands on the body and mind that that sport requires. I just think there's too many games. I, I do. I, I'll forever say I don't think they'll ever go backwards because of the money involved. Yeah. And uh, and on the player side and the owner's side, but yeah, but it's now really it's very. But now physical. I mean, but sorry to cut you off. To no, you're not. But but now I watch the games and you might. There's more hitting in girls hockey. There, yeah. it's. I mean, guys could play forever now. 100%. If I didn't finish my hit, just finish it. Now, I don't mean I wasn't a great hitter. Like, open ice, I don't know. I might get the worst of it. I, I really, but every, like, if I had a chance on the wall, I, that's it. Like, if you don't finish your hit, you're benched. I'm sorry. I, I don't even, you don't even have to say anything to me as a coach. I understand. You know, it's sometimes like a, a, a D got it kind of breaking out and he makes the pass and he's right next to the boards. I don't want to hurt you or anything. I'm out there, but I got to. You know, I'm a competitor. You got to go out and finish my fucking hit or I'll be benched. Now it's like non-existent. And I yeah. think they might even look at it the other way. Well, you know, analytics say that the more this times I do this, I might get hurt. Now it's too far the other way. I know there's a happy medium. I don't know where it's going to be, but yeah, it's too light now. It, it's it's tough to watch. It's, to me, when you're right next to a guy and you got momentum, it, to me, it's easier to hit a guy and bounce off than to stop and go the other way. But uh the other, I'm only saying this because I'm pay attention now and I'm on a few podcasts, you know, to give my two cents and analyze the game. And I used to just kind of pay attention to the highlights, but I watch full games now and you're looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs the other night, okay? And I, I think they'll be fine. I think they got some stars. I think in today's game, this is not so much emblematic of the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
I mean, the league as a whole and hockey as a whole. So here they are. They lost three in a row to teams that are bottom dwellers. And, there's, and they play, I think it was at the L.A. or the San Jose game or the Anaheim game uh, three or four nights ago. And they made nine hits. Nine! Nine <laughs> the entire game. The whole game went by. They're a National Hockey League team who's getting shit. They're the Toronto Maple Leafs who's under a magnifying glass. Before the game, everybody knows we got to go out there and, if nothing else, work our hardest. Your job's on the line. Your coach's job's on the line. Your reputation. I know it's panic button time, but it's Toronto, and that's the way it is. And you go out and lay an egg, first of all, and second of all, get nine hits in. You run into nine people accidentally. Stewie, I couldn't fucking believe it. It's a completely different game. Wendell Clark would have nine hits in a shift. In a shift. (laughs) Wendell Clark had 30-something fights in his rookie year. He went first overall. I mean, I get it. Did you ever play against him? No, I didn't. I, 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 that wasn't I, fun. That was I not pleasant. These alumni games, and uh, Shane Corson tells me, that, like, Corson's stories will often, you know, because he's still a good buddy, and, you know, he played with all those guys. I mean, I was there, but he actually competed with a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he's friends. So, they, you know, we do these alumni events, and these guys are often around. But Course was like, and I remember him telling me when I fought Domi, and it was a bit of a lark, whatever. I mean, he, he's like, you know, you got to kind of watch that, though. It's the NHL. I'm glad you did. You got a lot of balls. But he goes, if, if you grab a guy like Tony Twist, for example, he might break your orbital bone. He might literally break your face. And he goes, if you got your head down coming through and you see, and he singled out Scott Stevens and Wendell Clark, both. I mean, I know there was lots of guys, and we all know Stevens, but people forget Wendell fucking Clark was a brick. Stewie, did you play against <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. Like I said, you must have played against just a, a lot. Scary, just a scary, just a scary dude because he just had that fire in his eyes, and he was out when he hit. He hit to hurt, and then he could fight you too. I mean, I remember I hit Doug Gilmore one time in Maple Leaf Gardens, and we kind of went knee to knee. It wasn't a dirty hit, but Gilmore kind of went flying, and um, Wendell Clark grabbed me. And I, I saw, I thought that might, that might be the end. I was just hoping yeah. his glove wasn't going to slip off. I think one of the guys intervened, but uh, it might he be was just, he end. was so strong, just farm strong. I heard he never lifted a weight in his life, but you know, just throwing bales of hay or whatever his whole life. I went in front of the net one time, tried to move him and he, he just pushed me like, threw me like a sack of potatoes right out, out in front of the crease. I'm like, like just the old man strength, I guess. I don't know. Well, young. he had that old man strength when he was like 18. Isn't that an yeah. unreal story? He was a D and he went forward. I didn't know that. Yeah. A few years ago, uh, Dale Howarchuk, God rest his soul. See, I met all these guys in Toronto through course and Tucker and guys like that. So we were up in Muskoka doing a golf tournament. Howarchuk was nice enough to have me up there and give and speak and a few put a few dollars in my pocket. And uh, anyway, so Clark has a spot on the on the same lake in Muskoka. Anyway, Jesus, we went over there and we were telling stories and I was just like in his wrists and his hands and just it, the way he spoke was so tough. I mean, old school. He's like that old man in City Slickers, yeah. you know, just like, yeah, but just like just his presence. I just couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah. And no, telling stories. And I didn't know until that day he was a D turned forward. Um, now, speaking of tough guys in different eras. Okay, one of my closest friends who's now passed away, God rest his soul, is Greg Bird Dog Smith. And I know that you came across him 
any bird dog stories or just generally for people? I try to tell people, I'm like, you know, there are people out there. The animal's one of them. The animal was more like killer tough. Bird, you don't know. He might spear your eye out. I don't know. He might fucking slap pucks at you. I, he might fight you. He might jump you. You didn't know what was going to happen. He was like an old West gunslinger, and there was no fucking around. Anything goes. Anything to win. Anything to fuck. And he was. He had a temper because Bird off the off the fucking ice, the teddy bear. But he had a temper on. Tell us anything about you know about Bird Dog. Well, see, that's the thing, right? Um, that's the thing that I I miss with the game and watching the NHL and even watching the dub. Now, obviously, we have the Prince George Cougars here, and it's sometimes hard to watch. The characters of the game, where did they go? I don't know. I mean, every team seemed to have one or two characters that people would come to watch because you just didn't you didn't know what they're capable of, of, of doing. So, I mean, Bird Dog, I mean, the first time I ever ran into the Bird Dog, I was, I was 20 years old, and he was playing in Halifax, I think, at the time. And as usual... There was him. There was, I think, uh, they had Kevin Kaminsky, another cycle. Kevin Killer on the, Kaminsky, yeah. <laughs> on the team. I think they had the Roberge brothers, but oh. they were a tough, tough oh. team. But anyhow, I'm skating around, young kid, kind of think I'm pretty cool with my mullet and skating around, warm up with my helmet off. And I look on the other, and then there's this guy, he's about six foot feet four, massive massive guy and he's got like a he didn't have a handlebar mustache he almost had a, like a like a just a, a like a rolly fingers type mustache yeah he's, i know he was in his early 20s he seemed 55 yeah. back then yeah exactly yeah. and it, I, I said to one of the guys one of the older guys said who's that he said that's the bird dog i said the bird dog <laughs> and they call him the bird dog i said why do they call him that i don't know why they called him that but anyhow greg smite and so you know he was always a very scary if you went wide on him i was defense but i didn't have to go wide on him very often but if you you got by him you were going to get chopped hard he didn't care if you went to the bench for five no not didn't care one bit but he didn't like me for some reason i don't know why i always used to say hi to him in the bars in st john's when he when he when he played for the may police and he just growl at me dude he didn't <laughs> he didn't like that at all he i know he wasn't one of those guys off the ice but, you know even tough guys it was nice to run into him i wouldn't suck up to him in the bar but it's nice to share a beer you know and go yeah, the other way you know a little bit five. of weight off look we're, we're all doing a job here bird no fuck no, you no. <laughs> so my but the, the best bird dog story I have didn't go well for me. I actually, he was, I ended up rushing the puck one time. I don't know who he was playing for. I think it was the Maple Leafs, St. John's. And I ended up somehow in his end and kind of had hit the goalie, tried to rush. And next thing I know, bird dogs on top of me, beating golf balls on my head. And all I remember besides the pain was how he smelt. He smelt like a, bear or something. He smelled like a damn grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the whiskey mixed with the sweat. I don't know, but Matt, it was it was a, it was scary. I was glad the rest intervened quickly. Way to put it: some booze and sweat mixed together, and just <laughs> overall cold-blooded fear or, 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 or toughness. Sorry, coming from him. Then. Yeah, just just crazy. I remember going around him the first time I. Played a rookie exhibition game. He was playing with, not that he was a rookie. A few vets were dressed, Habs versus Leafs. Yeah, I went around him wide. 
and he nearly broke my ankle. And Jerry Fleming said, I, I wouldn't do that again. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're literally telling me not to go around somebody. Why am I drafted here? I'd never run into that. I'm like, yeah. well, either, the other you know, side. either he'll just get another penalty. He's like, yeah, he'll just keep getting other penalties. And eventually it's going to be a five. And eventually you're going to have a broken ankle. And I did it again. And sure enough, man, he nearly broke my ankle. And later that year, we were playing against him. Look, I went, offered him a beer. He, he just didn't acknowledge me. Okay, didn't acknowledge me. The next time, again, this is over the course of two years, right? That I, I, all these other guys, Sean Thornton's on the team, Todd Gillingham, my buddy from Newfoundland, uh, Ryan Pepperell, DJ Smith. I'm talking with these guys. Of course, we're playing each other tough. It's the fucking 90s. It's not like I went out and gave these guys a free pass, but it was nice to socialize. Bird Dog, no. The last time I was with Jose Theater and Alan Nazardine, we were walking up over the stairs to go to the Cotton Club, the old Cotton Club. We had to go up over the stairs. And as we get up, <laughs> finally, like, to bar level, a, a glass ashtray smashed right off the uh, wall in front of us. And we looked over and Bird said, get the fuck out of here. And we said, okay, Mr. Bird Dog, and left the bar. Like, he was that fucking much yeah. of a presence. Crazy. Yeah, no. <laughs> Some of the characters back then, man, it's just unbelievable. I miss, I miss Frank the Animal by Lois, Greg Bird Dog Smith. It's like... Everybody, even go back to the 70s, Jimmy, Pie Face, McKenzie. There was always these <laughs> characters that were named. They were almost animated yeah. just walking around, just the stories. And then they were, you know, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a different era that I will forever miss. Link the Dink Gates. Can you remember that? The Missing Link. <laughs> yeah, I played with him, actually, in New West. Where did you play with the Missing Link Gates? That was another story. Go ahead. I won't well, get that- into it. Just Google it, folks. Go for, Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Well, that was my first uh, uh, junior camp in New West that I was telling you about when I was when I was seventeen. He was on the team then, and I was actually in. We were all staying in a dorm, and I'd heard about this Link Gates guy, and, and I was. We were brushing our teeth because we all had to go to the bathroom, brush our teeth, and all this stuff. And he was looking in the mirror, mirror and Nick, his face was full of zits. I think he might have been on the roids, maybe not, or just bad acne. And he looked in the mirror, didn't like what he saw. So he punched the uh, the uh, thing, the handkerchief thing off the wall and he walked out I'm like, ooh, okay. He lasted all that time in hockey, like just a ticking time bomb. <laughs> I heard his name was Link Gates, and they call him the missing Link. I was like, okay, I've seen enough. I've heard enough. There's tough guys out there. Are you kidding me? And the missing Link totally fit. Right, right. right. As what? a nickname, because you really didn't know. He had this mystique of, like, same kind of thing as Bird Dog. Like, what yeah. is he going to do, and when is he going to do it? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. These guys were basically clinic, <laughs> clinical psychos, but actually off the ice, they're probably pretty good guys. Stewie, you played with the Legion of Doom. That was my first NHL game, was against uh, Eric Lindros, uh, John LeClaire, Michael Renberg, and the Philadelphia Flyers. People forget how good they were. They made the Stanley Cup final in 94 95. Lindros was MVP in the peak of Eric Lindros' fame and heroics. He was an NHL hero, the way I looked at it. He could do everything, he could hit better than anything, and he was the leading scorer one year. How was it to play with those guys? Was Lindros as awe inspiring as I would have assumed? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I'm so fortunate to have, have been there when Lindros was in his prime. Um, I think he was 20 years old when I played 2021 when I played with him two years in Philly, and just to watch that every night. I mean, he was 235 pounds at the time, 
fastest skater on the team, hardest shot, obviously the best hitter. And man, oh man, just to watch him manhandle guys. I I just wish that, you know, he would have, that Scott Stevens wouldn't have did what he did to him. And just to, if he didn't have that, those injuries, it just would have been amazing. But then, so I was actually there. I was around Jim, Jimmy Montgomery's the guy that coined them the, the Legion of Doom. Other guys can say that they didn't or someone else did, but I, I'm pretty sure I was there when Jimmy Montgomery looked at me. Leclerc was just traded there from Montreal, and I don't know if Bobby Clark knew that he was going to put uh, Leclerc with Lindros and Renberg, but I'm pretty sure he did. So these guys were skating around in practice, and they played a couple of games, and Jimmy Montgomery looks at couple of us and says that's he's kind of like the legion of doom and we we're all kind of laughing and then that name just kind of stuck i mean those guys were all 230 pounds could all could all shoot but i mean they were just massive massive for just you know i just couldn't hold them back and then amazing so um Oh, you're getting a bit. Uh, what's it? It's it's getting a bit choppy there. I don't know if you did anything different. It's probably my Wi-Fi. Anyway, I'll keep going. Um, so, but people forget how big they were too. Okay, so if I can remember, I told you about Wendell Clark's wrists and his forearms, and I, I, I there's two other people in my life that impress me with their wrists and forearms. Like not that I'm going around sizing everybody up, but Bobby Hull and John Leclerc. Just because I didn't realize. I mean, Hull, I. Of course, I didn't really think about it, but he had the hardest shot of all time for like 20 years. Of course, with a little wood stick, it's going to be a cannon. Uh, of course, he's going to have big arms and wrists. And the other was John Leclerc. I don't know, whereas you didn't think of him like a big hitter like Lindros, so I wasn't expecting such a huge specimen of an individual. How did you... I have a question. Watching John Leclerc, was it hard to knock him off a puck in practice? Like, is that was that his go-to? I only played that one game against him. I was always a fan because, again, he won the cup with Montreal, I believe, just a few years before that, and I watched it happen. I watched him play with the Habs. I was a fan. Um, was he as impressive, like live? Oh God, yeah. I mean, just yeah, like you say, a physical specimen used that his body. Well, he wasn't going to go out of his way to hit anybody, but what a wicked shot he had! I mean. I think he kind of had a heel curve and just yeah, just blasted by such a and in front of the net. I remember man. him tipping pucks in front of the net, yeah. like Tim Kerr a few years before him. Well, there's no chance to move the guy. I mean, even back in the day when you could slash guys in the ankles and cross check them, you weren't moving that guy. And no. then you you know you, like say you throw in Lindros and uh, Renberg to boot. Man, oh man, it's is it's crazy. But uh, one quick story about Eric Lindros. Being, and you talk about strength, you know those grip strength tests. We yeah. all used to do them in in um, you know. I was so tests. bad. Everybody expected me to be good. I was the worst in camp by a landslide. I cut my hands are like little tiny women's hands, man. I'm serious. Hell, the bony knuckles help for cutting people, but other than that, people are disappointed if they think I had tough guy hands. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I got fair size hands. I always did okay in that. And I remember Eric Lindros doing it. He grabbed that thing and he broke it. It's wow. Really? <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, shit. I can <laughs> barely get, move get on the ice with this I, guy. I, it doesn't surprise he me, man. Mean. He was a man he was among mean, boys. Dude. Oh, he was mean, too. 
Yeah, in his prime, man, he was just awesome to watch. He'd fight all the tough guys. He'd fight Chris Simon and win, and he'd fight Scott Stevens and win. I think that's why Stevens wanted to size him up, because Lindros used to beat him up all the time. Yeah. He's just for him to come across with his And Lindros head. would hit him and just usually be down behind the net. It would be in the corners. It would be down in that part of the ice. Uh, but, yeah. you know, fucking Stevens was like a shark, man. He'd like 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 a predator with its prey. Like he could, once you started pulling up across that line, oh. not that he did it to me, he did it to my buddy, Damon Lankow though. Look at his top 10 hits. Oh, I, could you imagine? I would love, this is a little bit more of it to say, but I would kind of love to see Scott Stevens out there playing with these, these uh, guys coming across the blue line. Now. They would, yeah. They would have no fucking idea what to do. It'd scare the shit out of all of them. No one's even scared to go on the road anymore. They're tweeting each other before the game. Oh. If I walked in and I saw like an opponent, I'm not saying at the bar or anything, we were old school bar, or whatever you might have some beers, but at the rink before yeah, the did, game, yeah, hanging out and like giving each other compliments and little tweets. And Oh man, like it was a different fucking world. Cause that would never happen. You'd be fired home. The t captain of the team would fucking find you. Oh, no doubt. No. no. Times have changed, I guess, for whatever. Really hopefully, for hopefully for the best. But uh, now I'm running out of time, so we can't get the rapid fire randoms. My usual little segment at the end, but I do want to hear about. You told me a story about getting mugged in Germany when you were playing there. You told me this over beers. Yeah. At where were we? We were at Christians, and you had just been screeched in. This was about a little over a year ago. You and Cheryl were here. I was so amazed by the story that I hadn't heard it because we were teammates in Salt Lake, and um, I remember we had a lot of conversations. It seemed like a place that we weren't going to stay for very long, so we were like nomads caught in time. I remember talking on ships passing in the night. We were talking a lot in Utah, and you told me all kinds of stories, most of which I've heard today, but I never heard this one, I guess because it hadn't fucking happened yet. Tell me about Germany getting mugged. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's tough to talk about, but, you know, I'm just really fortunate to be alive, I think, when I think about what happened. So, um, it was my first year in Germany. I was, had had too many injuries in, in pro hockey and in North America. It was time to give Europe a try. So, I was in Frankfurt, but first of all, we had to go to Switzerland for a, a month training camp. So, we had the month training camp in Switzerland. Cheryl wasn't with me yet because none of the wives go because it's just like a two-month training camp thing before the season starts. And so we're back in Frankfurt. We had two or three days off to recover and, and you just kind of do some team bonding. So we ended up at a, at a beer hall with the team. Then a bunch of us ended up going to a, a discotheque after downtown Frankfurt. And uh, I ended up at bellied up to the bar with a, a guy by the name of Rob Doyle. Have you ever heard that name? I heard the name Rob Doyle. I did. One is he from Western Warriors? Canada? Uh, I believe he. Uh, I believe. I believe he's from out west. But one of the I funny. Won't look into it now, ones. but there's a link. Yeah. There's there's a common denominator with somebody I, or people yeah. that I played with. Go ahead. Oh, for sure. But Rob Doyle is one of the funniest guys in pro hockey. So we're at the bar and we're, we're drinking one of those big German beers, and and they they go down pretty good. So next thing you know, it's the end of the night, <clears throat> and he he lived one way in Frankfurt. And I lived the other way, and both probably I lived about half an hour probably from where the um, where the bar was to my home. And I hadn't really I didn't have any experience in Germany or anything, so I hopped. I, but I hopped in this cab, and I didn't know that there was kind of a CD element, kind of a the, they call them the, this a Turkish Turkish element, and the Turks don't really get along with the white people in that part of uh, Frankfurt for whatever reason. And so I hopped in the back of the cab. So you got the cab driver, 
where he's sitting and I'm sitting kind of over at the right in the back seat. And he's a shady, shady looking character. Uh. Told him, told him my address. And so we start driving, get about halfway probably to my home and by myself. And I kind of, I kind of look out the window. Actually, I think I rolled down the window to spit or something stupid like that. And I felt I got cracked. I got a sharp pain in the, Friggin' temple he cracked me with something i don't know if he thought he was gonna knock me out but he smoked me with something in the temple and i kind of looked and i looked at him and, and like i said i think he thought he was gonna knock me out with this one blow so i started yelling at him next thing i know he's going friggin' 100 miles an hour i'm trying to jump out at this point he's blowing stop signs there and was you're no drunk. Jesus. I was drunk. I was drunk, but now you're, you know, now I'm like, okay, this is, this is serious. No, I mean, I had a cell phone, but I, I, who the hell am I going to call? I, there was, I didn't really, yeah, yeah. To call. you're in bad. You're in a bad spot. Oh, and so next thing I know, he's on the Autobahn and he, and he's going about 150 miles an hour. Then he turns down a dirt road and I had been in the cab now for about 20 minutes or so. And now oh I, I'm really, really in trouble, you know, and you start, you know, sir scenarios going through your head of what's happening here and okay i'm gonna make a run for it so he goes out dirt road for a while and stops i try to get out make a run for it but it's following us so basically i try to make a run for it and this guy from the car that was following us grabs me a big skinheaded guy six five and he cracks me and the two of them basically took turns beating the shit on me, kicked me in the ribs, busted my ribs, busted my nose. All I remember is, is basically coming to, I was knocked out in the middle of nowhere, and I kind of collected my bearings, and I, I looked around, found my wallet. They had stolen all my money, all my credit cards, so all that was left was I, I had no ID. So I collected myself. I hunkered down, crawled kind of under a tree and then they came back looking for me they and so I, I made i just kind of went under this tree in some bushes and they kind of got some flashlights out and i guess they came back to finish me off or whatever couldn't find me so i basically once they were gone i just started walking through these farmers fields i must have walked three four hours wow. finally came to a farmhouse knocked on the first door i was bloody a mess and these people basically slammed the door in my face they were german they couldn't speak any english went to another farmhouse another mile down the road these people took one look at me and i just sat on the their doorstep i didn't know what to do and uh finally i heard an ambulance coming so they must have called an ambulance and they picked me up and and i don't really remember anything for the next couple of days it was actually mine and cheryl's anniversary that night so she got, was pretty worried because i didn't contact her i would obviously contact her and uh pretty fortunate to survive so stewie what's so was she back in canada yeah she's back in canada with the kids and, and what we, part of the year was this this was uh this was in, right at the end of august so like did you stay over there and play the season yeah so i mean i, I had another concussion and like i said some concussion must have been uh, getting shit kicked on the side of a road to the point of being knocked out must not be good for the post-concussion syndrome <laughs> no especially when i'd had a lot before that so 
so I recovered and she ended up coming out in the next three weeks. And, you know, I went down and they, I looked at mug shots and all this stuff, but they all looked the same and, and, you know, I was never going to find the guy. And I just, you know, dealt with it. I slept, actually slept under a little bit of post concussion syndrome, slept with a knife under my pillow for a while until the family got there and just dealt with it and, and moved on. So. Unbelievable. Stewie Malgunas never stuck for a story. We could keep going. I got to take off now. I got to yeah. go to girls, uh, grade seven volleyball. That's, oh, that's what, that's what my night entails <laughs> after a story like that. God, it's going to take a while to get up off the couch, man. That was insane. Stewie. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you told me sober because we were both drinking and I was like, what? You kept telling me that at, that at Christians. And it almost sounded surreal. I, 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 I It sounded made up. I know, I know it's not. I know it's yeah. not at any point yeah. am I accusing you. It just sounds so unbelievable yeah. that well, I thought I mean, maybe yeah. you were dressing up the story. No. It's fucking crazy, man, that you're here. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good. It's good you're not dead, Stewie. Um, <laughs> no. but well, that, yeah, thanks. Thanks, T.R. I appreciate that. You're on death's <laughs> door. That's, that remind me something happens in fucking Better Call Saul or some shit. You're, you, you know, you're, you're hiding under a tree to see your basically the people who captured you that come back probably going to finish you off. You're not kidding. That's amazing, Stewie, yeah, and you're a trooper and came out of it all that. A small, small-town kid from Prince George, B.C., wide-eyed, young, plays in the Peace Caribou League at 17, starts making a name for himself. Yada, yada, yada. Here we are in 2022. You're still a young man. All that, all that experience, 130 NHL games under your belt, nearly killed, an unbelievable marriage. Now you own a bar. You're living in a great fucking spot, and you get to still talk the game. Stewie, it was great to talk to you today. Do you have anything to plug on the way out here? Uh, no, nothing to plug except uh, you got to get your ass out here. We're going to have a blast. Sounds good, and uh, I think uh, if you need some maritime bands and musicians, I know exactly the kind of people that – will uh, scratch you right where you itch, and I hope to come out with them in the spring. Stewie, it's been unreal having you on today. Thanks very much. Folks, if you're in St. John's and you're downtown, you're out for a beer, check out the Rob Roy, TJ's, the Bull and Barrel, Greensleeves Pub, and Trinity Pub. If you're going to go for a bite to eat, why not check out Blue on Water, Merchant Tavern, or Wedgwood Cafe? And, of course, if you're looking to make a change, a positive change in your life, you're looking to work out, for the body and mind, you want a positive change, go to Power. Ryan Power at Power Conditioning for your strength, movement, and balance, and body and mind. And, of course, true hockey. Take what's yours. Folks, it's been an awesome time today. Thanks to my guest, Stuart Malgunas. I'll be back in just a few more days with a few more tales and another spectacular guest. Thanks again for tuning in to episode 127B of Tales with TR. Back again soon. I'll catch you guys on the rebound. 